New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our guest today says, We're making our way toward a new way of aging most of us have never seen before. Underneath the glitz of ads for houses on golf courses and happy white-haired couples in tennis clothes lies the terror of the grave. If we had only taken more vitamins or exercised more or spent less time in the sun or not eaten red meat, then we'd still be resilient and strong and wrinkle-free and, most importantly, young. Sherry Ruth Anderson was challenged by a friend to use her deep wisdom and life experience, as well as her skill in researching and writing, to address the territory of what aging looks like in a society that worships youth. Today we'll be exploring how growing into old age can be a fruition, a genuine grace, and a gift with our guest, Sherry Ruth Anderson. Sherry Ruth Anderson writes and teaches about spiritual development with special interest in women's experience and aging as awakening. She's author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace, Some of us know her from her previous books, The Feminine Face of God, co-authored with Patricia Hopkins, and The Cultural Creatives, How 50 Million People Are Changing the World, co-authored with her husband, Paul Ray. Join us for the next hour as we explore the tender and ferocious truths of growing old with our guest, Sherry Ruth Anderson. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Sherry, welcome. I'm delighted to be with you, Justine. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for joining us. Let's start with the word ripening. Your your book title, Ripening Time. Ripening Time. That's an interesting way of holding aging. Can you say something about how you came up with that term? I think What happened was I've been interested, I've been really interested for many years, maybe 20, 25 years, in what happens to us when we get old, especially for people who are conscious and thoughtful and maybe have a spiritual practice or do inner work or have some kind of reflective uh, 
engagement with their own life. But I found when I would tell people that I'm interested in aging, they'd say, oh, that's so nice. Excuse me, I just saw someone I'd like to talk to across the room. (laughs) (laughs) So so I thought, I got to find a better word. And there are so many bad words about aging. Such as? Golden agers, senior citizens. Um, I don't know. Can you think of any? Well, I, I, I know that so many times we're lumped into 50 and older or 60 and older, and suddenly there's this just this whole huge field of people. I don't know how many of them there are of us that are over 60, but suddenly there's no, there's no delineation after that. It's just, okay, and then this group over 60 as if it's all one thing. Well, just like you say, and older. Yeah. They're the and older. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, as a matter of fact, just to, to uh, answer your your uh, side question, in 20 years, one in four people in the world will be over 60. It's an amazing, that amazing? statistic. Yeah. That's the, that's the demographics. So, Billions. <laughs> Billions. Yeah. So so to come back to where ripening time comes from, that's part of the story. So let me let me start with the first part where I'm sort of trying to find another word and I'm rooting around and I come across the word ripen. Because I was trying to think of something that would have to do with the fact that you know what? We're human beings. And therefore, we are always in a developmental possibility. And so blossoming, could that be a fruition? And then so I came across ripen, and it comes from an old English word, which means to reap. And to reap is very interesting because it has... um, a sense of a continuity, a sense of a development. And then when you look up the word ripen, you see, oh, it talks about ripen into fullness, ripen into completeness, and it also talks about juiciness, delicious, to come to full flavor, Mm. like a good cheese or grapes ripen into wine. So I got kind of excited about that. I thought that was really interesting. But the ripening time part is, well, it's our time when we're, I don't know, 55, 60, 65, somewhere in here. It's time to grow up, not just grow up 35, really grow up. What does it mean for a human being to grow up? Well, we haven't been able to know in large numbers, until this time. You know, this is the time people are talking about um, the third age. Or we, we have a generation and a half more available to us as human beings than ever before in the history of the world. Now, what, what does that mean in like it means, literal years? What are we talking about? We're talking about a life expectancy in 100 years 
that goes from something like 40 to 78 years in the West. That's so, so, another we whole had, lifetime. It, 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 up until what? Do you recall when that started to shift, that age we lived, started living longer? The, the really dramatic shift has happened since 1900, and the demographers are shocked. It's very interesting to read some of the, the technical literature and where they say, we never expected it would move this fast. Uh, partly, children, not so many children are dying, so that, that changes it. Um, the medical system is preserving life longer. Um, food is better. Um, in in uh, North America, we haven't had any wars. Uh, so that that kind of decimation of the population hasn't happened. And in addition to that, we're not only older, we're healthier, more educated, safer. When you have that combination of things, plus living longer than human beings have ever lived, it's an opportunity, right? Well, it's certainly a big change. And as I said in the introduction, as I said in the introduction, when uh, we do... um, Look at the youth. I mean, we're we're always looking. We're encouraged culturally and through advertising and all these different information systems to look back as we get older and older. To look back at another part of our life as being the real pinnacle of our life. And do you do you know what I'm saying? It's so sad. It, it's it, you're absolutely right. Well, you see, it's either that there's a bifurcation. There, it's either try to be younger next year, look look back to before, and try to be like before, or the infomercial thing that you you were reading in the beginning, which says, um, you know, go off uh, into the sunset and all will be well, and let's dance together, and just make sure you take this pill or buy this kind of old age insurance or life insurance. And it all will be happy. The so wrinkle fake. creams, the wrinkle creams, like the like wrinkles are just a bad thing, and the assumption that just okay, you want to erase them all. Uh, that's that's the one that I find really offensive. 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 <laughs> so, uh, just to to follow through on that thought about the ripening time piece, it's. It feels like it's our time that we can come into a new possibility and maybe a new kind of genuine human maturity that we've never seen on the planet before. In not, not that individuals haven't had it, but in great numbers, a field of mature human beings. What kind of harvest would that be? for human beings? What would that mean for our planet? And personally, what does that look like? And what do we need in order to have this be a ripening time for us? And because of the great numbers, it's also a ripening time for our culture, for our civilization. So that begs to one of the, one of the subjects in your book is is looking at the kinds of questions we're asking 
and finding better questions, I, I would say. So what do you have to say about how, how we might look at new questions and how we might be asking ourselves new questions? I think I should say first, why be interested in questions? And um, for me, the answer goes back to, well, okay, how do we do it then? How do we find our way to this kind of maturity? And how do we do it in great numbers? And can we help each other? And I really, I really don't think the, you know, the five steps to uh, outstanding leadership, the seven steps to excellence, <laughs> the 11 steps to such and such, right. I really don't think that works in the end. I think you have to find something that's authentic in your own life that um, uh, that comes like from inside or underneath and starts to starts to perplex you, starts to bother you, starts to interest you. And that says, and you start to be curious about it. Like, well, I wonder about that. I think you mention in your book, you, you talk about feeling some sort of fear. There, you give an example of feeling some sort of fear. And I, I want to explore that more deeply in just one moment. I want to tell our listeners, I'm here with Sherry Ruth Anderson. And she's the author of Ripening Time Inside Stories, for Aging with Grace. And if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, sherryruthanderson.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Sherry Ruth Anderson. She's the author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. And Sherry, we were just talking about the questions, and you were talking about how to look at what's bubbling up from inside with curiosity. And I was pointing out that you use an example of, for yourself. Like, I think you were feeling some fear of something, and rather than pushing that fear away, you became curious about it, and then that that tumbles into a a whole unfolding. Can you tell us? Yes, I was actually in Half Moon Bay visiting, and I woke up in the morning, and 
I heard a sound that sounded like dogs barking. And then I realized it was geese. And I thought, oh, the geese, they must be, well, what month is it? And where am I? And it took me quite a while to get oriented. Oh, I'm in Half Moon Bay, and it's September, and the geese must be flying south. And then I started to get scared. And I thought, why does it take me so long these days to remember where I am and to be oriented in the morning? And I started to feel the fear, and it felt, you know, like fear feels like a cold clutching at my heart or my someplace in my chest. And so in the way I've learned over the years to work with questions, I took a breath. And then, of course, what happens when you take a breath and you're more present is you feel it more. And then, of course, you think, oh, God, that's not what I wanted, <laughs> why I wanted to go away. But, of course, that's not what happens because you're more present. And then the fear starts to spread out a little bit. And then you start to understand more. Oh, okay, what makes me afraid here? What's my expectation? Where did that come from? How old is that? Oh, that's about my grandfather. Or that's what happened with my mother when she was dying of Alzheimer's. And I'm putting that plop right on top of my experience and not noticing. But now, because of the question, and because I could breathe and be present, to what was unfolding, the whole process began to unfold. And what happened was I began to feel a kind of spacious, ex and I was going to say expectation, more like a spacious waiting, but the waiting is more of an openness. And that's sort of a clue with questions. Can we have that quality of open presence that's not, okay, hurry up, get it over, when's it going to show up? That really isn't openness at all, but an actual openness and a spaciousness. And I can feel it now. And, and so then, then you begin to feel, oh, gee, I actually don't know what this time is. I don't know what's possible, but I'd like to. I'd like to know. And then somewhere in there, I, I remember feeling like a, a dried-out riverbed that had gotten its river back. And so a sense of flow and unfolding, and then a kind of wisdom and maturity that felt ancient. I never felt before. And so I began to wonder, is this what it means to feel like an elder? Is this the kind of thing that's possible for us if we don't run away from our questions? And it, you mentioned something about experience in that whole description. And and does do, do you feel that 
when when we start to contract around something like that that at first that that feeling in our body that was like fear or or some sort of what we'd put negative emotion on something is are we remembering like some experience that we had with our own grandparents, let's say, or something's coming up from our life the way, oh, I can't remember this morning where I am. And then we remember, oh, I remember my grandmother used to get disoriented. And then we start to get fearful around, oh, she that was when she was growing old and I'm growing old now. And is that going to be true for me? Well, you see, the 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 pernicious part of it is that that whole dialogue that you just did is usually not conscious. So the only thing that happens is, wow, I think I will get my face done. My friend was talking to me about that. Maybe just a little nip here and a little fix there. And, you know, I really should be um, going to the gym more and I should be doing that. And not that there's anything wrong with any of those, but... It's the fear that's running us, and we don't know. Moreover, if we could begin to have enough support to turn toward our questions and feel our curiosity or our interest and begin to let them unfold, who knows what we'd find out? It, it might be thrilling. It might be scary. But whatever it is, we're coming into a new level of engagement with the depth of ourselves. And I think that's one of the key opportunities of this time of life. One of the words that you came up with that occurred to you, and you didn't come up with this word, but it occurred to you uh, to talk about this time of ripening is um, the word diminishment. That that's a scary, scary word. Diminishment. <laughs> our our hearing is maybe not as as good. We're now wearing glasses to read. Uh, there, our strength maybe isn't. We're not as strong. You know, whatever it is. Um, that's. Can you talk about that word and its meaning in our life? You know, as you mentioned, I'm remembering. You and I are old enough to remember the what the beginnings of the Black Freedom Movement and when people began to say, I'm Black, I choose that name. Uh, And the power of names and that word diminishment has a power because there's a truth in it. I that the limitation of I think actually it's there's a wounding we feel wounded that capacities that we thought belonged to us they were ours uh, beauty strength a quickness of mind a flexibility I can count on my body and then suddenly I can't uh, and we we thought that's who we was and that who who we were and that that belonged to us and then it doesn't, and then it's going. And why? Did we do something wrong? Is something the matter with us? 
So it brings up a kind, a whole kind of hurt and disappointment and, of course, fear. But it's very powerful if you put it in the context of being willing to inquire into what's it like to say the word? What kind of stories does it bring up for me? What kind of old beliefs? Who knows where I got them from? You know, Sherry, I I just... I have trouble pronouncing the word. I have so rarely said it out loud. I mean, I, I notice that diminishment. I, I have to think about how to pronounce it. I mean, that's how I'm just like, you know, avoidance of it. It's amazing. You know, in fairy tales, how if you know the name of the witch and say it, she loses her power. I think the words like that, okay, you have to use it 12 times in a sentence, Justine, and then it's going <laughs> it, it, to lose its power. Its power, exactly. I want to, I want to, there's something that you mentioned in your book when, when you were much younger. You were, I think, in your 30s, and you were in, of course, you're originally from Canada. And uh, actually, think, I'm originally from the States. Oh, I thought you were. I thought That's you, because I moved to Canada after graduate school and I lived there for 20 years. Okay. I, I thank you for correcting me. And um, you were putting together a conference and you asked an elder, a beautiful elder who has been on New Dimension several times, um, Marion Woodman, to open the conference. And it was on aging, I believe, women and aging. And she did something very, very powerful. Can you describe that? Yes. Uh, the conference was called the First Canadian Conference on Women Elders. I think it was also the last Canadian conference <laughs> on women elders. And uh, we wanted Marion to give the keynote address the first night. And she had agreed. And then she uh, developed cancer, and she had surgery, and we were all praying for her, and it was a very difficult time. And we didn't think she would come, but then she, after several months, she called and said, I can make it. Um, I won't give a regular talk, and Sherry, you just ask me a question, okay, and to get me started, and it might be a very short talk. Do you still want me to come? Of course, we said, yes, we want you. We really want you. Come. So it was in this big old church in downtown Toronto. And maybe, I can't remember, maybe there were like 300 women there sitting in the pews. And Marion came up on the stage, and I hadn't seen her since the surgery because I was living in California. And she's wearing this white pantsuit that doesn't do much to hide the fact that she's lost about 50 pounds. And I, had, I didn't know what to ask her. I hadn't prepared anything. So when she came up, I think I said something like, after all you've been through this year, how is it for you to be with us tonight? And this is what it seemed to me what happened. It seemed like she t dropped her pantsuit, and then it seemed like she dropped her skin, like she just stepped out of it, 
and it dropped onto the floor. And then there was nothing but radiance. Somewhere in there, I remembered to sit down. I can't remember a single word she said. At some point, she sat down, and it seemed like the skin and the pantsuit came back on her. And the applause were thunderous. And underneath them all, there was this profound silence that stayed through the entire night. I'm here with Sherry Ruth Anderson. She's the author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Sherry Ruth Anderson. She's the author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, sherryruthanderson.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Sherry, we were just talking about this conference in Toronto, and Marion Woodman, the uh, Jungian analyst and just elder, wonderful woman, and just sort of dropping into her radiance, just naked in her radiance. And it reminds me of something that you talk about, about when someone truly comes into their eldership and in in a wise way, in a conscious way, it seems that they bring with them a kind of presence. Please say something about that what you, your experience of that presence. Well, it's here right now. Sometimes people call presence listening. And sometimes we have no words for it. But I think we all recognize it. Even small children recognize, oh, that person is really here. Or that person really knows how to listen. Or somehow, I think about Michael, your husband, how he had this amazing presence in his presence, you just wanted to take off your overcoat, you know, and your sweater. And why bother? Because everything is already so here that let's just get rid of all the shells and the coverings and stuff like that and just be real. I think you mentioned uh, there was a community in Maine, and a friend of yours had this community, and she she mentioned what held the community together was the presence of the elders who did nothing more. I mean, nothing more. I mean, the, the greatness of what they were doing was that d- 
deep listening. Yeah, and actually, so when when uh, Patricia Hopkins and I went to Portland, Maine to interview, the, it was called the Women's Spiritual Community of Portland, Maine, and there were 300 women. And Pat and I were very impressed because in San Francisco, we had, uh, especially Pat, had really been part of a group that had tried to organize and had fallen apart, and the women were fighting, and that was a normal experience. And so we wanted to know what let this community grow and thrive and continue. And they said it was the elders. And I think my question was really telling about my my age at that time, because I said, what did they tell you to do? <laughs> and, and they said, that they were shocked at the question. They said, they listened. And because they listened to us with such respect and interest, we started to listen to each other. That's very powerful. That's very, very powerful. And it reminds me, too, as we're exploring aging, ripening, um, that it's what you have in your research has found, have found is that it's something that is best done with others to not to not just go off on our own and but to to really share it with others maybe and we're talking about circles or groups of people or really exploring the questions together and exploring the fears together and exploring the openings and the joys and all of it together i, I think it's critical these are hard hard questions and what matures us are the the hard times being able to live into them and be vulnerable enough to feel what happens and to allow that to happen and i think we need genuine support of people who are authentic enough to meet us and not people to tell us what to do because nobody knows how nobody knows how to do this this is a new time one of the great experts in this time said uh, if you don't know how to negotiate the territory of this new old age join the club mm. so it's new and and not not everybody wants to ask these questions not everybody wants to hear about it so I, that's why I think maybe circles, salons, maybe just groups of three, maybe larger. There's all kinds mm -hmm. of forms and ways mm -hmm. this can happen that we can support each other. And like we used to say in the women's movement, hear each other into speech, hear each other into the truth that, um, that can unfold now. Uh, you mentioned uh, in the book um, a woman, I mean a man, uh, the I, what was his name? Um, Ron, Ron the Dutchman, and he was doing a, a men's group, I think, and everything was going great until he brought up the term nursing home, and then the whole group just fell apart. And there we go. Yeah, I mean, the two most terrifying words in the English language: nursing homes. Yeah, that, actually, he tried to start his men's group. Three separate times, he said. And 
it was going fine until he mentioned that word, until that that kind of thing came up. So he was coming to a group that I was doing that had men and women in it together. I think that was important. He he thought it was important too. That's interesting. That that it, I find that fascinating, and that's a whole other subject about how women can hold at that together and and might be helpful in that process in conjunction with men. I I mean I just I find that fascinating. Maybe part of it is if you can't tolerate vulnerability, then you can't be open to the diminishment of capacities that you thought belonged to you. And then you also aren't available to the mystery and the um, poignancy and the beauty and the preciousness of life that comes with this time as well. So it's harder in our culture for men to be able to have that vulnerability, especially in a group of other men. Mm -hmm. But if you see somebody is open like that, and then somebody else, then you find your own courage to speak from your own truth. And that's always a vulnerable thing. I think that's a wonderful insight. Sherry, um, There, we talk about stages. You, you mentioned stages. There is young old age, and then there is old, old, old age, or, or frail old age. They're kind of two different. One, one I, I was struck to think, uh, in the young old age, we're real caretakers of others in, in many of us. And you, you mentioned how it's the biggest volunteerism going on with the kings and queens of volunteerism in that young old age because we want to care for others and and the, possibly and not be cared for ourselves because that means we're going into some sort of more frail part of our life. And that's that's the scary one, isn't it? It's certainly one of the scary ones. But see, it, it brings us to the question of who do we take ourselves to be? What do we think is real? Do we do we think we're just this body um, and then, then we're going to die and then we're not this body? Okay, if we think that, then it's really terrifying. But as that uh, openness begins to come and you can't do what you used to do, and maybe you can't even do what somebody else does because their energy is different than yours. Then maybe something starts to happen. The veils start to open in a different way. And you begin to see whole other possibilities of who you are and what relationships are, what love is, what really matters mm-hmm. in this life, what you care about. Everything is is open. Or if you you feel like you have to shut down like a like a mollusk on a rock in the ocean, then you shut down. And probably for all of us, it's 
it's all of that. All of that. It's the, not just one way. No, or another. no, no. It's all of that, and sometimes it's all of that within an hour, within <laughs> within five minutes, and and we just have to be able to laugh, like right. you're laughing, yes. and and you know part of part of the power of telling the truth about this stuff is the laughter and the life force that just comes up because you're you're naming what's true. It always brings laughter. And and the the the, the phrase. Oh, getting old, older is boring. And you mentioned how somebody said that in a conference, and everybody just burst out into laughter. And that's so refreshing. It's just so enlivening in some ways because it's truth-telling, because part of it is boring, and part of it is not. Part of it, it's just and scary a, it's and exciting and mysterious and all, all of the of and all of the above. Yeah. How about our uh, how we view death? Um, does that have some bearing on how we move into our eldership? Of course, of course, it does. But you know, from what I think. At least in the in the places I've been and the people I've listened to, it's easier to address death than it is to address old age. Mm. Right. I think you're saying a mouthful there. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, I and I did some writing as I was reading your book. It just I just started doing a little bit of writing, and one of the pieces that little piece that I wrote was. Um, I'm not so much afraid of dying, of my death, but I'm curious as to how it will come about. Will I, will I have what I call, quote, unquote, good death? You know, I think a good death is one where it's not too painful. Maybe you have a little bit of warning so you can do a little bit of preparation, but not too painful and not too prolonged. When I hear of someone kind of dying that way, I think, oh, that was a good death. I make the judgment, that was a good death. But I'm curious, how will I go? Will it be fast, an aneurysm, or will it be a slow, some slow cancer? Will I have Alzheimer's? Will I, you know, I mean, it, there's a curiosity there. And it's, that is much more scary than the actual death, for me, at least. I think that's true for most of us. Let's let's go into this a little more after the break. I'm here with Sherry Ruth Anderson. She's the author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Sherry Ruth Anderson. She's the author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. And we're, we're talking about death and dying. And you've, you've actually faced some pretty scary stuff yourself because you, you have had, like, I believe, four operations for melanoma. So you've really faced this yourself. Can you share what insights you have on that? Honestly, I, I think it must be so unique for each person that my experience, I, I can say what it was, but I, I think it's just, you know, one of 10,000 possibilities. And maybe the most interesting thing of all is when we come face to face with ourselves and say, how do I feel about dying? When, you know, the next surgery is scheduled and you don't know what the outcome will be. Uh, For me, uh, because I have no children or grandchildren, and my life felt complete. I felt like I'm ready to go. And I was surprised. I thought, really? Nothing to keep me here? And then I was in that place of openness that we talked about earlier. And what came was this very surprising, um, uh, like a fountain of love that felt like life itself. And it felt like life itself is so completely uh, uh, perfectly abundantly full in in exactly the way it is, I would like to live just to be part of life itself for however long that is. And I'd never felt anything like that before. And it felt very simple. And it feels simple as I share it with you now. You know what it sounds like to me of what 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 you might have come to was um, so as some people have described a near death experience where they've gone into this place that of of love of of total love and that it seems like as you were describing that it sounds like that place of well, it's hard to have words for it but it's it's complete unto itself, just being present there in this bowl of of love and vi- life. <laughs> Sometimes when people have the near death experiences, they want to stay uh, dead or gone. This made me want to be here in the midst of this life. So my, I don't know if it's the same or not. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking, is that, that we can have that here, even in our diminishment. <laughs> you hear me pause as I think of how to pronounce the word. Even in our diminishment, that there is, there is still a fullness there that can be available, that is available. And even more, we can see it, you see. We, we know that completeness is ourselves. Um, 
when when we're not so occupied with doing and making and producing and when we're not so occupied with that and it's like certain things fall away and certain things get so full and there's uh, one of the characteristics I hear from people is a sense of gratitude. Often people can't say what they're grateful for. It's just gratitude for being here. Gratitude for this precious moment with you. Gratitude to um, be able to look for words for all of it. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Then um, there's something that you also talk about in the book, uh, something called mother culture. And mother culture is, is, what are you referring to when you refer to that? It's everything in our uh, surround that teaches us how to fit in. And it's everything that we do, if we happen to fall out of the fitting in, to crawl back into our place. Into what is termed normal, quote-unquote. Yeah. And so we do that for these sort of stage roles we have related to aging, or being young, or being strong, or being whatever. But the aging part of uh, our role in mother culture is really uh, sneaky, and it it takes a lot for us to begin to see. Oh, I don't want to do that because I'm afraid I won't fit in, or I do want to do that because I will fit in, and and so much of it is unconscious, and we have to often have something happen to us that kind of wakes us up, and then we. We can see it, and then we start to tell other people about it and say, well, do you realize that there are stage roles, and you're not supposed to step past that place on the stage because you're old now, or you're an old woman, or you're an old man, or you're not supposed to look like that because you're—and and then how do we talk to each other? How do we find each other? How do we see past those, those stage roles? To go, hello, who are you? I was, there was a, a, a video I, I saw recently of, uh, I bet with Dustin Hoffman, and he was talking about the time he played a woman in a movie. And he was, although the makeup artists did everything they could, he actually was not a beautiful woman to his great disappointment. And he, but he felt himself to be a very interesting person. And when he saw this unbeautiful self that was uh, presented, he realized, he felt, uh, he was actually weeping in the video. And he said, I realized I would never come up to that woman. I would never want to talk to her. I would never know who she was and how interesting she was because she didn't look like the kind of woman I would go up to and talk to. She wasn't pretty enough. She wasn't this enough. It, it's like that with old people and young people. Wow. That, I, I hear that. That's what an insight he had. And I remember that movie. It was called Tootsie. And he 
But he was so vibrant in that that he became attractive. He just, it, it, to me, in watching it, it wasn't that he was unattractive. Of course, I'm not a man looking at, 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 at him. I'm a woman looking at a woman. So I maybe would see it differently. But, but he was so vibrant in that role. I wonder if he ever got to that, that it's more of who we are and our vibrancy. And people become beautiful as you get to know them. They, I, do you find that's true? Absolutely. It's just, well, they, yeah. And I'm thinking of something else. It just reminds me of something else that you wrote about and shared with us. And I didn't hear the actual interview, but it was Terry Gross's interview with Maurice Sendak before he died. And he was, of course, the the children's writer who did one of my favorite books, Where the Wild Things Are, was one of his most revered books. And can you describe what he shared with us just before his death? What struck me about that interview was the generosity that I could feel and hear flowing from Marie Sendak. And it was so powerful that... He's So he's having this interview with Terry Gross, and he's talking about, she's saying, what's it like for you to be old? And he's talking about the old oaks near his house and how he loves them. And then she goes on, as a good talk show person, to plug his book. And so she she's about to go on to that, and he says, wait a minute. I want to tell you something. <laughs> yes. He said, you mean very much to me. You are so special, and I think I'm probably going to die before you, and I'm glad of that because I would miss you very much. And there's this silence, like a minute or more of silence on the show, and then you hear Terry go, Oh, oh, oh thank you. Th- thank you very much. You know, she's normally just has so much aplomb. And for days afterward, people were writing in and calling in and saying, I pulled my car over to the side of the road, weeping. And it was the generosity that was unimpeded by the mother culture's forms and stage uh, positions. He wasn't buying it. He, He died eight months later. He had to tell her about his love, and it just flowed through the airwaves. Wow, it's a beautiful, beautiful example of that generosity and authenticity and being present in the same way that you were describing earlier, Marion Woodman being present in that auditorium and that church with everyone and just being in her radiance and her nakedness, and that's where he was. What a gift. Sherry, thank you so much for being with us today. I've been here with Sherry Ruth Anderson, and she is the author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, SherryRuthAnderson.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3484. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.